The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. All right, welcome to this Monday edition of Scorebox. We're just dissecting what went wrong with the markets. Did they misunderstand the Fed and central banks again? Well, Karen Cho and Steve Sedgwick are your anchors, and we'll talk you through it in this show. So, Fed Chair Jerome Powell has sparked a global sell-off, with Asian equities in the red after the Dow's 1,000-point drop. This, as he warns, there is more pain to come in the fight against inflation. Restoring price stability will likely require maintaining a restrictive policy stance for some time. The historical record cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy. Uh, Don't forget about us. This is the ECB I'm talking about. They're echoing the Fed now with some officials warning that a larger sacrifice will be needed to stop inflation spinning out of control. Chinese industrial profit falls in July as COVID curbs and power shortages weigh on factory production along with margins, while regulators prompt banks to step in with more support. And Bitcoin extends losses to drop below 20,000, putting the cryptocurrency on course for a fifth straight day of declines amid concern around the Federal Reserve's rate hike path. Usually ironic, isn't it, about a cryptocurrency that is supposed to be breaking free of the shackles of traditional currencies and financial monetary systems, falling in the same directions, all those boring old assets. Morning, Karen. How are you? How's Carnival? Survived it. (laughs) Nice to see lots of revelers out and about while I'm coming to work. They just love a bank holiday in the United Kingdom. Where I I drove through Brixton, you come from northwest, this trendy kind of... uh, uh, Notting Hill it's area, and both areas are a hub of partying on a banking uh, yeah. holiday as well. I mean, Notting Hill Carnival just really sets the scene, doesn't it? Well, indeed, and it's a wonderful festive event, but unfortunately you and I don't get to enjoy it. But, but, but I, I love going through Brixton this morning, because there's people strolling around everywhere. It's still Sunday for them as well. And, and I was kind of beeping along this bloke in a tie and shirt as I'm driving my car through, and these people just looked at me as if I was utterly bonkers, as I had the temerity to be going to work at 4am in the morning. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. I was thinking, why are people people voluntarily up at four o'clock in the morning. Well, I'll tell you why they were voluntarily <laughs> up at four. Well, they're up because they still think it's Sunday. But we're up because we need to dissect the mess that is central banking at the moment. Because the Federal Reserve Chairman, Jerome Powell, has warned that the US economy will suffer, quote, some pain from rising interest rates, as he vowed to forcefully use the Fed's monetary tools, if they'll work, uh, to stamp out decades-high inflation. Speaking at the Fed's Jackson Hole Symposium on Friday, Powell said there will be economic costs to the aggressive hiking cycle, but warned the cost of allowing inflation to continue running hot uh, would be far worse. While higher interest rates, slower growth, and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation, They will also bring some pain to households and businesses. These are the unfortunate costs of reducing inflation. But a failure to restore price stability would mean far greater pain. Mr. Powell also played down expectations, and this is what really upset a few of you in market world. In his, what, nine-minute speech? It wasn't any longer. Uh, He played down expectations that the Fed could begin cutting rates 
again in the near term. That's the thing you got worried about, you lot. You don't mind the next hike, do you? But you don't mind the one after that, but you thought, oh, they're going to turn around really quickly next year. Mm, didn't quite work out like that, did it? Uh, he doubled down on the fact that conditions will remain restrictive until inflation returns to its 2% target. Now, the comments sent the US majors plunging, with the Dow shedding more than 1,000 points, while the S&P 500 have raised all of its August gains. Speaking to CNBC ahead of Powell's speech, Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic said he expects the Fed funds rate to reach a ceiling at just under 4%, adding the US central bank should allow its restrictive policy to work its way through the economy before it considers easing again. Restrictive is somewhere in the three and a half to three and three quarters range. Okay. And uh, I th I'm hopeful that we can get there by the end of the year. So I'm, I'm really hoping that we can uh, get to a place where we can get to a restrictive uh, posture, see the data continue, hopefully in the trajectory that, that it is moving, uh, and then just sit there and let our policies work through the economy. So disappointment effectively across the board. I mean, it couldn't have been more bleak if you consider how the US markets traded in that Friday session. But I think what we had, uh, investors pivoting before Powell was ready to pivot. They were looking at the, the numbers on inflation, thinking, well, that we've come off the highs, we've gone peak inflation now. So let's just pile back into the markets. But if you think about the reaction Friday and for some investors who were still very cautious around this market rally, you've now got net short positions also building up on the markets. What the S&P 500 futures uh, uh, short futures over the last uh, couple of months uh, has levels reached levels we're not seen in two years. So effectively now you've got a lot of people more bearish on this market. So despite that summer rally that we had, it feels as though investors are now turning tail and concerned about more volatile months ahead as we count down to Christmas. There's so much going on and there's so much misinterpretation. Uh, first of all, the Fed is, is the great misinterpreter, of course, because it had this great period of transition when there were others, dare I say, around this desk who were saying this is nonsense. This is the real McCoy. This is not just supply chain. It is going deeper into the system uh, and could be around for a very long time. Now the Fed's on board with that as well. Uh, the, the, the question is, can they control it? Is there an illusion of control from central banks and I think it is an illusion of control. The tools available to the central banks to cope with the multitude of issues we're seeing on the supply side and now coming deeper into the economy as well with enormous amounts of fiscal stimulus still being chucked out the global economy as well. Um, I think the tools are not necessarily um, co uh, fit for purpose in the 21st century. The architecture of central banking isn't necessarily working. Another point is the 2% target utterly spurious. It's something that Jeff's talked about and others have talked about for decades. Yes, and so now, of course, some of the central bankers want to change the rules. They want to make it a 3% target to make it easier for them to get down to target as well. Uh, and, and the next point I'd say is the markets are just absolutely bonkers interpretation. Well, I mean, I, I spent three days, I had a Thursday and Friday off, I spent three days standing at the wall and saying, I don't know what you expect. Pull the tape. I said it every single day. I don't know what you think he's going to say that is actually going to justify um, your nonchalance about where central banks are, your attitude that is going to cut very aggressively as well. And I just couldn't see it from anything that I'd extrapolated from his language up till now that suddenly the Fed was going to turn aggressively. That's why Fed fund futures rates and what have you have gone from 3.3 for February next year now up to 3.8 because suddenly I thought, oh, oh, maybe he's not going to change so quickly as well. So there's a lot of misinterpreting going on from the central 
central banks, perhaps on what the architecture available and the ability of that to cope with the current problems, and dare I say it, also from the markets. This is a real test of Jay Powell's communication skills. This was always going to be a, a big factor as we looked at his tenure over at the Fed. And central bankers jawbone. They don't just move on policy, they also jawbone. And this is one of those great moments, trying to get ahead of market expectations. Expectations had run so far ahead of Jay Powell and what he should be doing, when he should be doing it, before eventually he caught up. And I think this is a real move by Jay Powell to try now to get ahead of those expectations. In terms of what it means for the markets, I think we're still jumping at every piece of data. We're looking to see how quickly inflation comes down because don't forget the message was that the job is not done. We've had some cooling off from those peak levels, but we're nowhere near a lower sustained level. So seeing big jumps or big leaps lower from here is quite important in the data. But also if you start, I think, looking at the labour market where we've had these messages now from Jay Powell that we're going to have to effectively see some uh, heating up again, where that unemployment rate has to lift higher from here, we're going to be seeing some job losses. So I think that's what we're looking for. Some of that uh, enthusiasm, the uh, wrangling over salaries to effectively evaporate from the labour market from here to just provide some cooling off in job conditions. So eventually we see some of those pressures stop moving on to wages and employers stop being felt at supermarkets as a demand cooling situation. Yeah, so all, all of the above. Um, a couple of points here, and that's just stick on that board for just two seconds. OK, we'll move on to this board here. Now, any of these is fine, lads. Uh, thank you. Um, look, we're nowhere near our lows for the year. Um, we were down over 30% on the Russell 2K, the Dow Transports, and a couple of the NASDAQ indices as well at one point. So one thing is very clear. We are not at our nadir, our trough, our, our worst inflection point, so to speak, uh, of where the markets have been so far. So we're, you know, we have still had just about, obviously, with... Uh, uh, the big caveat that August now uh, looking pretty awful compared to where it was uh, for the bulls, for the bears, uh, a dose of realism. So we aren't at our lows yet on these markets. They have come a decent way from their lows by 7, 8, 9% in many cases as well. Um, uh, the other point is, is, does this represent good value for the market or not? And, and the P ratios over a 10-year look back, they don't look back. But if over a longer term period, when interest rates were significantly higher for most of this century, uh, actually the P ratios don't look quite as, uh, as, as perhaps tantalising for some. Mm. The other thing is, of course, is P fit for purpose at the moment? Because you've got a price and earnings. And one thing we have seen from the earnings season so far, the latest reporting season for the second quarter, is that earnings outlooks are stunningly opaque. Yeah, I mean, the earnings expectations have come down right. And I think I just want to take a look again at those net shorts and the implications. I mentioned before the amount of bearish bets on the market. This can mean a number of things. It can mean that we've got some volatile trading ahead. If people feel as though this market is going to move higher, for whatever reason, they get a good piece of data, they may have to jump back into the market. And you could see big swings to the upside that may give you an illusion of improving sentiment. In fact, it could just be some covering of positions that we're in for the next couple of months and keep in mind it's in big tech stocks where those shorts have been built up so it does beg the question where is the market leadership if we're not going to have those big technology names out in front we've seen in situations like that because of the market cap of these stocks now if people are bearish on technology names it can leave the upside yep. capped for the major markets I hear, you. I hear what you're saying right let's get to the US futures very quickly they are lower as we speak um, not as dramatic as the moves we saw on Friday but still um, a bearish tilt to them. Let's get to Quincy Crosby, who is Chief Equity uh, Strategist, LPL Financial. 
Quincy, nice to see you today. Thank you for joining us. I don't know if it's late or early wherever you are, but it's an ungodly time, no doubt. Um, what do you think of, of what Mr. Powell said uh, and indeed the market interpretation of it? Very good day to you. Hello. Yeah, thank you very much. I think he was clear. Um, he, he said, you know, inflation about 45 or 46 times and price stability was the second was the runner up to that. He made it very, very clear uh, what his intentions are. There was no equivocating. There's no misunderstanding. He made it short. He made it not so sweet. And I think the market got the message. Mind you, there was a parade of Federal Reserve speakers after the market seemed to misinterpret what he had said. In other words, seeing a pivot um, rather, you know, quickly uh, compared with what he said um, on Friday. And right after that, after the market moved up so dramatically and we had a really big risk off um, move in the markets, they came out one after another and just said, this is what is needed. Uh, we need more work. And, and Powell really came in with that. You know, we're going to stay higher for longer. And that was what I think got the market. He didn't say, then we'll stop. He said, we will stay there until we are certain. And that, you know, adds tremendous uncertainty to the market. You know, how long would they stay high? And, and this is what the market has to get through. And of course, with earnings coming up, you mentioned earnings. This is going to be key. Yeah. Because already the estimates have come down. Guidance needs to be positive. Yeah, Quincy, I've, I've, I've just seen that you're in San Diego. So you're still on Sunday evening, which is thank you for joining us late on Sunday. Look, I, I saw the bullet of yours, actually, fun enough, I was just looking down about earnings as well. We, we seem to be in total accord about that as well. But, but does the current earnings expectations, or do we need to see more from the third quarter, but do the current expectations uh, give us a solid enough platform to start dipping our toe into equity markets if we want to go long or not? Well, probably not. I mean, you're going to remember that it's a, this is a global phenomenon. You heard every central banker uh, echo what Powell said. So you're going to see demand come down globally, but there will be companies, perhaps domestically oriented companies, that that you know can offer uh, margins that are still attractive because after all, that's what the market is looking for. You know that the margins do not get crushed uh, with the um, with the cost of capital rising. So I think that there will be, but I think it's going to be stock specific. Very, and, and one other thing that's important, the second quarter earnings, the market, the market because the valuations were lower, the bar was lower and the market gave many companies a, 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 a chance to just explain why they were misses and were prepared to give the market, the companies kind of a positive, uh, a, underpinning. I don't think that's going to happen for the third quarter earnings season. That's going to be quite difficult. Quincy, can I ask you where rates are going to end up this year? I mean, we heard from Bostic who's saying we could be about 3.75%. If you look at where we are in Fed funds at this stage, we could be leaping ahead by another one and a quarter percent on uh, some of these rates by the end of the year. That could just be two moves given the jumbo sized nature of these rate hikes these days. Uh, what are your expectations now for the, the pathway for the rest of this year and where we end up on a ceiling on rates? 
Well, probably around there, although there, there are many who say it could be 4%. And the Fed itself you know, says, look, we have to go higher. We must go higher in order to just expunge inflation from the economy, finally. Uh, so they may do that, but I think 3.7, 3.8 is probably where we settle. Um, the, again, the question is, how long do they wait? Uh, we, we're expecting either 50 basis points or 75. Right now, it's sort of 50-50 for the next meeting. And then after that, the Fed could probably go lower, like 25 or maybe even 50 and then 25 and 25, and then wait. The lag time is, you know, six to seven months before these rate hikes work their way into the economy. So it, it's going to be hard on the economy. But I think the message was, don't misinterpret what I've said. Listen to what I've said. Take it literally. And I think that the market is, you know, he mentioned the 70s where the Federal Reserve went stop and go, stop and go. And it was a disaster. And he made it clear they are not going to repeat that mistake. Quincy, what's the impact going to be on some of the consumer discretionary areas of the market? I mean, we've already had a lot of show and tell commentary uh, and uh, results in recent weeks. The likes of Walmart, Nordstrom having a, a glut of inventory. We've had Best Buy warning about a month ago that shoppers are, are buying fewer electronics. And also recent comments, too, uh, from uh, Dollar General Corp, uh, where the executives are saying that we're already seeing trading down. What are the implications are we, if we have more rate hikes to weather from here? Well, that, you know, you're dependent on the um, upper wage earner who still will have a job, presumably, because they tend to um, spend the most. They tend to help the economy the most. If that group, the white collar worker group, starts seeing major layoffs, the rest of them usually um, start holding back. So all eyes are on that group to hang on and, and keep uh, keep spending. According to many of the um, credit cards, they continue to spend. But we're starting to hear reports that they're pulling back. You know, it was interesting. You mentioned Walmart. Walmart made the comment that households with hundred thousand uh, dollars and more are starting to show up in um, in Walmart. Presumably, they're buying food, but also some of the durable goods items that have a higher margin. But the point is, it will be across the board if the labor market really tightens and they lose those jobs. You make some great points, Quincy. Real pleasure seeing you. Thank you very much indeed. And enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening. Uh, Quincy Crosby, who is Chief Equity Strategist at LPL Financial. Well, of course, it's not just about the Fed, although they are the Piper leading, uh, well, rats. I don't know. It's not fair talking about the market being rats, is it? The children, let's say. Uh, the, Fe- <laughs> the Fed is also accompanied by other central banks who are moving less aggressively. Let's be brutally honest about it, including the Bank of Japan. And the ramification of that is this. We've just hit 139. We're a smidgen below it. So a new 20-year high for the U.S. currency uh, versus all kinds of currency, to be fair. On the basket, the pound's floundering. The euro's got a low 99 handle. But it's the dollar-yen that I think is most interesting for this moment as well because the Japanese policymakers not only has said they're not really going to be moving rates too much yet, but at all, but they've also kind of kept their cap, haven't they, on the, those uh, BOJ um, yields as well. So very interesting looking at how other currencies are responding as we see a new hawkish tilt or a renewed hawkish tilt from the Federal Reserve. So dollar yen knocking on the door of 140 as we speak. Right, well, what did the ECB say? This was interesting. European Central Bank officials are now calling for more forceful action. Well, some of them are.
say that some of them are. More forceful action to control inflation in the Eurozone. Speaking at Jackson Hole over the weekend, ECB executive board member Isabel Schnabel, who you can see there being interviewed previously by our very own Annetta. Well, this time around, she warned economic sacrifices would be necessary to stop inflation in Europe spiralling out of control. Meanwhile, some policymakers have signalled the ECB could look at hiking by 75 basis points at its next meeting. The council member, Robert Holtzman, said a three-quarter point increase should be on the table, while Martens Kazakhs said the central bank must opt for a major hike, adding a recession won't be enough to bring down price pressures. Meanwhile, the IMF's Deputy Managing Director, Gita Kapina, has told CNBC at Jackson Hole that global economic momentum is slowing. But she expects central banks to continue following the Fed in keeping rates higher for longer to combat inflation. The three major economies, the US, Euro area, China, are all stalling to different degrees. And the data that we're seeing in the high frequency data for the third quarter also shows growth momentum slowing. Now, gas prices have gone up by a whole lot more uh, in recently for Europe. Fed tightening is certainly being strongly signaled, uh, but interest rates are going up. I think there's about 85 central banks that have raised interest rates over the last year and continue to do so. Profits at industrial firms across China fell in July as COVID restrictions continue to put pressure on factory production and demand. Meanwhile, power shortages due to heat waves also curbed factory output. And let's get out to Sam Vardis for more. Sam, it has been a very difficult month there in China. Just break down these numbers for us. Good morning to you, Karen. Well, profits are Chinese industrial firms falling 1.1% in the first seven months of the year. That was compared to that 1% gain we saw in the first six months. So actually reversing uh, some of that growth that we did see when we saw those brief signs of a recovery over in China. The Stats Bureau didn't actually publish the July number alone. It hasn't done this since around COVID, uh, but estimates have put this at around 12 to 14.5%. That is a drop. So some saying that that is the biggest drop we've seen in around two years. So really, uh, the damage is being felt. And of course, as you pointed out, there are a number of things, of course, weighing on these already squeezed profit margins. You've got these higher costs, you've got weak domestic demand, and of course, the sluggish property sector. You've had these COVID concerns, these restrictions and lockdowns continuing to weigh on the manufacturing sector and some of these critical hubs. But on top of that, as you mentioned, we've also had this heat wave really wreaking havoc on these supplies in terms of power because we've had manufacturers who've actually had to suspend production as some of these provinces which are really struggling with the drought are trying to prioritise pumping electricity to their residents and that's really been weighing on sectors like lithium and things like chemicals and fertilizers and that's raised a lot of concerns about the auto sector interestingly actually the car makers the profits at those companies were really the outperformer actually growing around 78 percent and that was put down to a couple of things improved supply chains off the back of that policy support but also those continued tax breaks so really that is benefiting from some of that stimulus the coal and also the gas mining sectors also had a pretty good month they saw some 
some triple digit growth, but really it was the manufacturing in those raw materials that really dragged uh, on some of that growth. The numbers were particularly bad for the steel makers, profits falling 80%. And so really what that tells us, guys, is that we are continuing to see imbalances in that profitability. And that's just further evidence of the headwinds facing the Chinese economy right now. Back to you. Lovely. Thank you very much indeed for that, Sam. Uh, Well, a rare bit of good news, I guess. Uh, The US and China have agreed to a deal allowing the US to screen accounting companies in China and Hong Kong. The agreement brings to an end years of dispute uh, that could have seen several Chinese firms, including Alibaba, exit the US stock exchange. The deal also signals cooling tensions just a smidgen. Just a smidgen. Cooling tensions following the visits by top U.S. leaders to Taiwan. But I would suggest the latter still uh, a clear and present danger for diplomatic relations. Right. OK, coming up on the show. Uh, uh, German set. Germany is set to avert a uh, bitter winter as storage levels fill up faster and ahead of target. More than that after the break. Uh, plus, the podcast is, is vintage, Karen. It is. Uh, for plenty on how the markets are reacting to Jerome Powell's Hawkey's Jackson Hole comments. You can check out that podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. the latest around the energy situation and Germany is on track to have filled 85% of its gas storage capacity by September. That is a month ahead of schedule. Economy Minister Robert Harbeck said, quote, reservoirs are filling up faster than specified. He said companies would be able to access those reserves during the winter months. And we spoke to Norway's State Secretary for the Ministry of Petroleum and Energy, who told CNBC tougher energy restrictions would only be adopted as a last resort. Our current reservoir levels are at 67.9%. That's 10 percentage points below the normal levels that we usually see in Norway. So it is a difficult situation, but the probability of rationing measures or or shortage of supply is is small. Uh, We do have good connections with Europe with respect to import of electricity when needed. So we do not believe uh, that it will be necessary to impose for example, rationing measures this winter. But it is a difficult situation that we're currently in with respect to electricity. Yeah. Is it perhaps in your long term vision to maybe look towards some kind of rationing? I mean, you say not this winter, but maybe long term. Is that something you'd have to consider if things were to continue this way? Well, what we are now looking into is a mechanism that could stabilize reservoir levels in the future if needed. Uh, we will work with our neighboring countries and etc. to to look into such a, a mechanism, but it could be uh, uh, necessary to impose measures to secure security of supply in the future. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.